The first step is stop the bleeding. That means get your monthly expenditures down to as low as you can. So call your banks and negotiate a moratorium on your credit card payments and your interest. They're handing those out left and right right now. Call your mortgage and say that you need a month or two reprieve or that you need a hardship and they're giving those out left and right right now because they see what's coming. They've been through this just 10 short years ago. Um, negotiate down your car payments, all the other things that you can. You would be so surprised what you can actually negotiate down if you pick up the phone and share the fact that you are facing a hardship. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today I have an extremely special guest. Uh, he's, a, he's a coach, he's a friend, um, and he's a highly sought-out entrepreneur, speaker. Um, his mastermind is one of the best in the world, and he's also the host of the Four for the Love of Money podcast. His name is Chris Harder. And right now, um, during the midst of this pandemic, Chris is being sought out like crazy because his money mindset approach is something that is so different than anything I've, I've ever experienced. And I'm just so happy to have him on. So Chris, welcome to the show. Doug, thanks for having me on, man. Total privilege. Yeah. So before we get into the coronavirus and money mindset, I want to kind of get like, let the audience know some things they might not know about you because when they see you, they see Lori, they're like, wow, these people just love changing lives. They love crushing it. They love having fun. They love their dog bananas. Right? Like, so who's your favorite quarterback besides Aaron Rodgers? Oh, I was going to say Aaron Rodgers, but Tom Brady is, uh, is my second favorite quarterback. I know. And he just went to the Bucks. That's crazy. I know. It's the craziest of choices. Um, what was your favorite childhood tradition you did as a family? Christmas, for sure. So uh, right before every single Christmas, we would adopt other families and go shopping for them and wrap gifts and drop it off. And then on top of that, we would sneak around at midnight on Christmas Eve and drop off big gift bags full of gifts to all my cousins and aunts and uncles. And it was just my mom and I and my brother, sometimes my dad in the car at midnight. It's just this really fun thing to sneak around the city and do. Awesome. What was the first car you drove? Very first car ever was a Grand Am GT, if I remember correctly. That's awesome. And, the, and, the, and here's the thing. I, I kind of expected your first car wasn't going to be a Rolls Royce. And just from like the lifestyle you lead now that you've obviously extremely well successful and earned, you start somewhere. And I think a lot of people right now, they're probably feeling like you were maybe when you were driving that Grand Am, they're like hopeless or like, where the hell is my life going to be in the next 10 months, 10 years? And it's the coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, talk me through like, you got a lot of experience in, in, you know, finance and, you know, setbacks like this. What do you think like the biggest fear right now is with people besides actually getting the, the coronavirus? I think it's a financial fear for sure. Uh, even maybe more than getting the coronavirus from everyone I'm talking to. They're like, if I get it, I'll be fine. The chances of me getting it are lower than I think, you know, people are, are expecting. But from an economic standpoint, they are afraid. Here's why. 
we're being forced to quarantine in our homes, no matter where you live now, for the most part. It's going to be longer than most people think. Um, they are relearning how to operate and survive at home because not only are they home, but their kids are home from school and they're expected to, to homeschool their kids and their spouse or their significant other is home. And it's chaos, right? They haven't learned a new routine yet. But worst of all of that, I think the providers of the families, uh, unless they are wildly prepared, are fearful of, am I going to lose my home? Am I going to lose my place? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am I going to be able to feed my family? And how long is this going to last? Yeah, you're right. I think so many people now are scared financially. And I know one of the things that you know I've heard too is that they don't know where, when their next paycheck might come if they've lost their job. They don't know how to to make money. They don't know like if they need to cash out their retirement. Like, you know, what advice are you gonna are you giving to people right now as far as like if they're in a bind, like what action can they take if say they're you know they are at home and they're AR quarantined and they're succumbed to just being in front of their computer and their phone all day? So, Doug, I want to answer that question because it's probably the most important question we're going to talk about. Given the times right now, I want to answer that question by starting with a story. So today, as we sit here, Lori and I are more than prepared without liquidating any investments whatsoever to last a couple of years, um, not only as individuals, but we told our entire company, our entire team, they have jobs for minimum one year. Don't go home and worry. We got you covered. And to be prepared like that, is a privilege because just 10 years ago, I guess it's 12 years ago now, when the Great Recession hit, I was on the opposite end of the spectrum. You see, I could have been prepared, I should have been prepared. I was one of the fastest raising exec rising executives in the world's biggest bank, but I lived beyond my means. And I mean way beyond my means. I was young and dumb and full of ego and I thought it would last forever. And so when that recession hit, and when I, when I lost my job, Lori and I, had to not only face the recession with the same fears that most other people are having right now, but we had to figure out a way to come out the other end thriving again, because that's how we're programmed. So we were fearful, but we also knew, here's one thing that never wavered, that the outcome of all of this was 100% in our hands based on our reactions. So the reason I tell you that story, and when I say we lost everything, let me paint a picture for you. We had just built this huge new home that was too big for what we needed, and we had to short sell that home. We had to walk away from all of our rental properties because the tenants were no longer paying the rent. We had to get rid of all of our cars. We had to get rid of everything. Now, here was the most humbling part of it all. In order to have enough money, in order to create enough runway, and you're going to hear me talk about runway quite a bit. We had to take some bold moves. So remember, this is 12 years ago, 2008. We jumped on Craigslist. We listed all of the furniture that we had just bought for this home, that we had just had custom made for this home, all the TVs, all the everything. And people would come to the house and buy it for pennies on the dollar and walk out with all of our you know, prized furniture, prized possessions uh, up to that point. And it was one of the most humbling adjusting experiences of my life. But here's why I share that part of the story is number one, if you've got fear and if you feel like you haven't done anything to prepare, that's okay. I've got ideas for you because I've been there before. Uh, and number two, it's an example of what it takes to go beyond what you think it's going to take in order to come out this the other end thriving because of the moves that we took, we were able to take that cash, pay off all our debts, 
negotiate down the other ones, and prepay our rent in a tiny little 900 square foot apartment for one year in order to give us enough runway to make our comeback. So that's the punchline of the story is we were in a, a terrible position, but we did the right, bold, scary, and embarrassing things faster than other people did in order to create that one year of break even and prepaid rent so that we had a year of runway to make our comeback and reinvent ourselves. Because Doug, right now, this is a time of reinvention. People right now think it's a time of restriction. They think it's a time of loss, a time of fear. It's all those things if you let it be, but quite honestly, this is just a time of reinvention. This is when you get to reinvent how you show up. This is when you get to reinvent how you serve. This is when you get to reinvent how you make money, how you survive. And for so many of you, this is gonna be the most beautiful time of reinvention ever when you look back on it. And the only reason I can say that confidently is because it was for us. This was the time that took me out of corporate America because I was forced to get out and threw me into where I really wanted to be and that was entrepreneurship, right? So there's blessings and opportunities abound in every single shift and that's what we're in. We're in a shift. So here's one of the most crucial things that you can do if you are facing this right now and you are not prepared. I'm gonna give you four or five steps. The first step is stop the bleeding. That means get your monthly expenditures down to as low as you can. So call your banks and negotiate a moratorium on your credit card payments and your interest. They're handing those out left and right right now. Call your mortgage and say that you need a month or two reprieve or that you need a hardship and they're giving those out left and right right now because they see what's coming. They've been through this just 10 short years ago. Um, negotiate down your car payments, all the other things that you can. You would be so surprised what you can actually negotiate down if you pick up the phone and share the fact that you are facing a hardship. Because the banks would rather know ahead of time and get some cash flow from you than you not tell them at all and then get nothing from you. So it's a win-win for everybody. So that's step one. I want you guys to stop the bleeding and get your bills down to the lowest number that you possibly can. Step two, I want you guys, and this is gonna sound like it has nothing to do with finances, but it has everything to do with finances, to have the most extraordinary um, uh, routine built for every single day that we are stuck at home ever. Here's why. When you wake up and you are reactionary to the challenges that you face, unfortunately, you are always playing from behind. And you are always living in a place of fear and always living in a place of scarcity. But when you wake up to a strong routine that has been built to help you survive and then thrive, because that is the theme here, guys, survive and then thrive. A routine where you have protected time in the morning to do what's good for you and for your family so that you can fill your cup up. A routine where you get your workouts in or your prayers or your meditations or some positive propaganda. And by positive propaganda, what I mean is podcasts, books, um, YouTube videos, things that will lift you up and make you motivated for the day as opposed to things like the news, social media, uh, hearing people's sob stories. You need to avoid the negative propaganda and seek out the positive propaganda as part of this routine you're building. You need to get the whole family agreed upon this new routine. You have to show them, here's what's in it for each of you, and the whole family has to be bought in on this new routine. And when you've got a good, healthy routine where you are not being reactionary to the day, but instead you are controlling the day, and you're looking for opportunity, and you are being productive, 
then you're going to come out of this thing. You're going to survive this thing and come out of this thing in a very, very different way. So number one, stop the bleeding. Number two, build that strong routine. Number three, I want you to put together, figure out and put together three months runway. And here's what I mean. Um, after you've negotiated down all your bills, I want you to come up with what that month, minimum monthly number is that you have to pay to survive. Then I want you to take it times three months because that's how long you're going to be locked up at home or barely getting back to work. And so uh, pretend that you did all your negotiating and you got your monthly bills down to $3,000 a month. You take that times three months, that's $9,000 that you need to have three months runway. Now, some of you might be checking out right here saying, doesn't this dude get it? I'm not prepared. I don't have nine grand. If I had nine grand, I wouldn't be stressed. Well, number one, most of us are overstressed and think that the situation is worse than it is until you do the math. Math is always the path. So what I mean is right now you're panicking saying, oh my God, I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose, you know, I'm not going to be able to get food. I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. And I understand the fear, but you're making this a level 10 problem and it's probably a level four or five. So math will show you that in reality. You know, the media is causing a lot of that too, right? What, what's that? The media is making it a level 10 problem, right? You know, they're just, just making it a level 10 problem. They're, they're placing that fear in you. So number two is when you figure out this minimum monthly nut and you take it times three to figure out how much runway you need, we're going to stick with my example, $3,000 a month times three months is nine grand. Even if you don't have the money, you're going to say, where can I get it? Because when you ask a better question, you get a better answer. Most of us wake up every day. We look at our checking, our savings and cash on hand. And if we like that number, we feel abundant. And if we don't like that number, then we freak out. And most of you don't like that number right now. And most of you, that's not going to be your three months runway right now, but you're forgetting all the other assets that you can tap into. You probably have some retirement accounts that you can tap into. Even if they have penalties, you might have home equity or vehicle equity. You might have available credit on your credit cards or in your lines of credit that you can take out and put your bank account right now because it's not safe if you leave it as an open line of credit. The banks are going to cut those things. Let's roll the tape back and you'll see the moment when I predicted this because I already worked for a bank when we did this last time. So you take the money, available money out of your lines of credit, you put it in the account, you let it just sit there to help create these 12 months of runway, or I'm sorry, three months of runway. Um, so you do all these moves. You ask yourself, what could I monetize from home that now I can monetize because I have time. Maybe you can coach people. Maybe you can um, do what you were doing at work for individuals that need it now from home over Zoom, over FaceTime. Maybe you can create products. Maybe you can get into a great MLM company that most people make fun of on a regular basis, but there's, they're booming right now because everybody has to work from home and they need healthy things to eat. So ask yourself, how could you make money from home in a way that you weren't making money from home before to contribute to that three months runway. Uh, then I want you to get even more resourceful than that. I want you to say, who do I know that would lend me money? Is it friends? Is it family? Who would invest in me? Who have I built up relationship capital with? Um, and what can I sell in order to meet this three months runway? Drop the ego, guys. You can buy your shit later. What can you sell? Back to my story, we sold everything in that home. Didn't feel good, but it gave us a year worth of runway. So what can you sell to get your three months runway? So if number one is stop the bleeding, if number two is build that bulletproof routine, if number three is identify and create that three months runway, then number four is this. After you've done those things, I want you to sit back and I want you to find the opportunity because you get what you look for. Right now, you're looking for the fears. Where's the monster? I need to avoid them. But I want you to retrain your brain and I want you to look 
for the opportunity that is presented. And here's what I mean by opportunity. Everyone's world was just changed upside down. So people have brand new needs that they never had before. They need medical advice. You might be able to give that in a coaching form. They need health advice. They need immune advice. They need financial advice. They need business advice. How do they manage their team now that their whole team is at home? Maybe that is something that you're good at. I have a friend. He had over half of his year's income canceled because he speaks for Fortune 500 companies. So he came home and he built an immediate digital coaching product where now he's leading these business leaders on how to remote manage from home. Um, parents are both home for the first time ever trying to figure this out. People need marital advice. Um, men are suffering because their masculinity is on me taking care of the family. They need counseling advice. People need at-home workouts, at-home yoga. I could go on and on and on. What can you share with other people in exchange for some money in order to see the opportunity to reinvent yourself? Because there is opportunity bound everywhere. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be more bankruptcies than there are deaths from the coronavirus. But do you know what there's going to be even more of than that? Brand new businesses started. Absolutely. This is your chance. And then the last step is this, and, and I know I'm going long here, Doug, but I'm passionate no, this is, about this. This is great, man. This is, this is freaking gold. So if step one is stop the bleeding, if step two is identify that routine, if step three is build that three months runway, if step four is find the opportunity and start building it, then step five, after you've done all those things and the opportunities out there are starting to come in, now I want you to build 12 months runway. Because remember, you, you now have a monthly budget that is smaller than it's ever been before. Now I want you to take that times 12 and I want you to figure out what that number is and that's how much runway, that's our first goal to build up to. Because I do believe that we're going to have two different needs right now as we head into this. We are in unprecedented times. I want you to picture 2008, which was the Great Recession, meets 9-11, meets a uh, pandemic. We've never had this before. And so you're going to need that three months runway just to survive while we're on lockdown. But you're gonna need, need that 12 months runway to survive until we are out of this recession and hiring becomes abound again. So those are my, my five steps that are crucial to surviving this. Yeah, and you just gave enough information that's worth probably thousands and thousands of dollars right there alone just in those last 10 to 15 minutes. And I got to say, like the one thing there's, there's obviously several things that, that, that jumped out at me, but one was like your whole perspective on it. So many people have this perspective on the coronavirus. It's like the end of the world and they are focusing on the things they can't control. I don't know who I was. Well, I think it was Grant Cardone was like, what would happen if there was a fire in your kitchen? Would you just go and talk about it and gossip or would you try to freaking put the fire out? Like put the fire out. Right. And like the same thing, like we can only control what we can control. And I think a lot of people will understand that if they get a morning routine, they get an evening routine, that they're controlling them, which is extremely important to have mental health or emotional health or physical health all intact. Because if, they're if people are banking on the fact that everyone's going to die and they want to like, hang their hat on that, then they're going to they're gonna end up like becoming like worse than anybody else when this thing is over because it is going to be over. So taking care of yourself is super important. And you're right, like the having the perspective on that, that things are going to be booming after this is so true because we're in a, I think we're in a transition. You're, you're, we're already seeing technology take over. We're already seeing people being able to interact online. And this is going to be create plenty more opportunities for the people that see the fruit in it because there's going to be so many people that are holding back being like, oh, like, should I be selling or should I be helping? Like if you have a skill to offer, if you could, there's people out there that need help. There's mm -hmm. people out there that need are like, 
our skills and expertise. And the biggest thing though, is dropping your ego. And especially as males, I've heard, obviously you talk about your story many times and how you had to drop your ego as a male, as a provider and back in the great recession in 08. But look at where it led you now, right? Like look at like what, where it's taken you. It's taken you probably from somebody who has his entire like mask of masculinity, like um, thanks Lewis Howes stripped of him, right? To, you know, having this uncertainty about, you know, your relationship with Lori, your relationship with money, your relationship with yourself to now where you are. So like, what are some things that, you know, tangible things that you did for yourself, Chris, that got you from I mean, money aside, I'm just talking like personal development that got you from that position to like kind of where you felt like you were in a rhythm. This is amazing. So right about when all this was happening in 2008 for us, this giant time of transition and challenge, that was the very first time in my adult life that I actually ever found self-development. I did no self-development really before that. And uh, Lori had come home and she said, hey, there's this thing. It's a weekend long. I would love to go to it. And I was really resistant, but I went anyways. And, I w- and by the way, it was because we were broke at the time, it was very expensive. It was something like 650 bucks each of us. So like $1,200 or something. I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm spending on this three-day weekend in town, 1200 bucks right now. But I went and I began that event being the most judgmental person in the room because people would share their challenges. And I remember sitting there and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I remember sitting there saying, huh, you're messed up. Boy, what want to be in your shoes. Oh, you're a psycho. Oh, your shit is like super crazy. And I left that weekend a completely transformed individual having learned so many things about why I see the world the way I do and how I see the world the way I do. And that lit a spark in me to start seeking out more positive propaganda. Positive propaganda is simply the term that I use for anything that you're going to feed your mind with that's going to make you better. Want to get better at business? There's positive business propaganda. Want to get better at relationships? There's positive relationship propaganda. Positive propaganda are podcasts books, events, YouTube channels, um, this very show right here. This is an example of positive propaganda. And that's what lit the fire in me to seek out as much as I possibly could. Yeah. And I think as men, you're, I mean, where we are sometimes afraid to ask for help and we're afraid to like, you know, raise our hand and say, you know what, like, I got to check my ego. I am not like, um, I, I am not, you know, ready for whatever I'm about to enter. And I think one of the most powerful things about, en- like, you know, entering self-development, joining masterminds, getting in a room with other people is internally you think your shit's like messed up, right? And then like you get around other people and then you feel more comfortable that like, oh, like they might be crazy, but I relate to them or they might be broke, but I relate to them. And you feel like this empowerment because you know you're not alone. And I think especially during times now with the coronavirus, like, you know, people like we're all in the same playing field, like financially we might be a little bit different, like vocationally we might be a little bit different, but as far as how, we have a choice in how we respond to everything and personal development has probably because of personal development for you, myself and many others is the reason we see things differently. It's the reason that we're not like feeding into all the BS on social media and the news. Not that this is an important, not that people aren't dying. I'm not saying that, but the fact that we're walking around like scared to death to tiptoe and like live our lives, right? Because just say we put 110% effort into to ourselves for the next three months and everybody in the world dies. Well, everybody's dead, right? But say you put 110% effort into yourself for three months and things change in three months. 
but you're so far ahead of the curve because there's so many people that are going to sit back. They're going to drink, turn to drugs. They're going to stay, stay glued to the news that you're going to be so far ahead of the game that like the financial responsibility that you were once afraid of is going to be like your biggest blessing in a few months. And my biggest pet peeve right now is that people are just, they get like a high off watching the next coronavirus thing on the news. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, you'll, you'll know when something important has changed. I only get on and watch when my governor's speaking or Donald Trump. That's it. Cause then, then I know something's like really important. I got to make a change in somewhere. And um, so like, what are some things you and Lori are, I mean, obviously like people look, would look at you and Lori and be like, Oh, like they don't have problems. They, this, but it's like mo money, mo problems, right? Like you got a team, you are used to being able to go wherever you please, you know, do all these things. What are some adjustments you've had to make in your own life that, you know, you've kind of had to, to readjust and create a new routine with right now? You know, no matter who you are, you're adjusting to something right, right. now. Right. But I want to acknowledge that I feel so fortunate to be, a healthy and have a roof over my head and a great spouse in Lori and, and family that is, is living close by so that I can take care of them and extended family that I can take care of. I feel very blessed to be in that position, but I will tell you this, here's one challenge. Um, we have a good sized team that counts on us for unemployment and they have or for employment and they have families and they have people they care about and they have their own health. And so when we were faced with this challenge of, okay, what do we do? Everyone's going to go work from home. Business is going to change dramatically. Uh, revenue will go down. What should we do about these individuals? And the answer was a no-brainer. We faced that challenge with the following answer. We said, number one, uh, everyone's working from home until further notice. And that was before everybody had to work from home because we didn't want to expose them to what was going on. Uh, we said, number two, if anybody feels like they need to get testing, uh, for the coronavirus, we will cover the cost of that testing. I know just recently they announced that they're going to make it free, but it's still technically not. So, so we said, no problem. Don't let money be a decision maker. We will reimburse your test immediately. Uh, number three, we said you will get, and a lot of companies are exempt from this uh, that just rolled out. But even before it rolled out, we said you leave above and beyond the vacation that you already have to take care of yourself if you get ill or to take care of a loved one if they become ill. Um, and then this was my favorite thing that we did. We just rolled this out for them. Uh, we said, we will give you a thousand dollars stipend to use in any way you want, as long as it is coronavirus or quarantine related. So if your household needs supplies or if a loved one needs some medical stuff, or if you gotta pay the rent, and your spouse came home and isn't working, you can tap into this $1,000 emergency fund for each employee that we have with no questions asked and use that in this time of need. And it felt really good to be able to do that. And, and what else felt good was this. We looked at them all, we called a big meeting, and we said, we want you to know that we will assure you that you have at least one year employment as we go through this really challenging time um, you don't have to worry about our finances from that standpoint, but the deal is while you're at home, you must make your value felt. You must make your presence felt. And we felt that was a really great trade. So we're not sitting at home playing Nintendo the whole time. <laughs> we're sitting at home thinking, how can we add value to the company that is adding value to us? And guess what? It's been one of the most beautiful 
exchanges and one of the best feelings of leadership that I've ever gotten to participate in. Man, you're, it's what I really like enjoy, you know, watching you and Lori um, and your team is like how much of a role model you guys are just not only with your relationship with one another, um, the way you handle your company, the way you handle your finances. I mean, you really do like walk the walk and talk the talk. And that's, I think, why a lot of people are so drawn to you. I mean, I think people, um, they get asked, I mean, I've been asked, like, what made you, you know, attracted to join the mastermind? And I said, it's just like, like I said, I like to surround myself with people I would trade places with. I never take any kind of criticism from somebody I wouldn't trade places with because then it's, it feels like, you know, some sort of, um, you know, envy or jealousy. And so I just think, you know, the, the value in this episode from you isn't just from the coronavirus. It's how you like live your life and how you treat your employees, like giving a, your employees a 12 month stipend, but not just handing it to them. Like here, take it, do whatever you are 12 month guarantee. You're, you're being like, all right, well, here your, your end of the bargain is you have to like work your tail off at home and, and provide value to us into um, our audience on like, you know, why we're keeping you in the way you are. Like, where did like we so I know like you've obviously been leading masterminds for quite some time and you've learned a lot. Like who were some of your mentors that kind of got you to where you are now? Did you do were you in masterminds yourself? Did you have like a business coach? Like how did you get to the point where you are now with that? Yeah, such a such a great question. A lot of the people that got me to where I am today are people that nobody will ever hear of because a lot of times the people that are the greatest mentors that know the most about business, they're not on Instagram. They don't have 300,000 followers. They're not marketing themselves. They're running their business. Right. So I'm going to go all the way back to when I was kicked out of college and I started at this car dealership because I liked cars. I was like, sounds like a logical, good place for me to work. And there was a guy there by the name of Ron Vigil who no one will ever hear of. But it's funny, I was texting with him a couple of days ago. Ron saw something in me and he quickly helped me become the number one uh, salesman in three months time out of 25 people that were salespeople there. Then he helped get me promoted to the finance department where you can make significantly more money. Then when, because he was running the finance department, when he left there, um, he got with the owners of the dealerships, a big group of dealerships and said, uh, this is the individual that you need to run your finance department. I, that was my first exercise in management, in leadership. And because he took me under his wing and cared about me and would take me out and teach me, here's why he's doing what he's doing, here's how, why he's saying what he's saying, um, here's how to just do all the things better. He believed in me and really gave me the confidence that I could be something special. Then in uh, when I was working for the world's biggest bank, you know, there was – a couple people there, you know, one, his name was Paul Ulner, another one, his name was Steve Turner. And they were hard on me, but in a way that I knew that they were trying to forge steel. And I have so many amazing perspectives when it comes to hard work because of those two gentlemen. And, and then there was someone named Todd Elstead, who was my business partner when I left the big bank and got into the mortgage bank. He's the one that founded the mortgage bank. And here's the great irony. We left on rocky terms because the bigger the bank mortgage bank got, the more we realized we had very different leadership styles. But he taught me that no one will outwork him. He taught me that uh, whatever you want to accomplish, you need to be leading the charge yourself. You need to be at the front of the line. People need to see you working more than they are working. And that stuck with me. 
And it's one of the most valuable lessons I've ever gotten. You know, and then as it got further, some names you would recognize, like Lewis Howes has been a really great business mentor for, or just really a life mentor for me and turned into a good friend. Um, Rob Deerdeck has been a good business mentor. Bill Glazer has been a great business mentor for me. Um, and the list goes on and on. But it really started with those original gentlemen that saw something in me and gave me the confidence and gave me the tips to get to the point where I could tap into some of the more well-known mentors. Yeah. And it's funny you, you say that and you bring that up. It's a lot of times it's the people in your life that you wouldn't expect the, the no name people that have the biggest and profound effect on your life. Like for me, you know, obviously I've had some mentors that are, you know, more well-known. And then I think about like my cellmate in jail, who was like my first big like, mentor. I never expected for this guy to be able to like, you know, it's not like you're going into jail and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to find like a life coach, you know, more. It's so it was him. And then it was like my buddy, Billy, who was a trainer at the gym who like really helped me kind of navigate how to build a training business. And so, and then it led me to bigger mentors to other people because it inspired me to seek out people that were smarter than me, which I think like at the end of the day is what, people need they need to figure out they need to find people who are who are smarter than them have the skill set they want and learn from them and be like an open book to like a sponge right and it's it was just so funny that like you know i'm in a similar position that you were in in 08 like you you were trying to get out of the corporate america i'm trying to transition more in the online world i joined this i joined the mastermind and then you know 911 meets recession meets pandemic happens the last night of our retreat right so it's kind of it is kind of, it's funny, but it's not and it, but it's also like, sometimes I think life gives you what you need, like when you need it. And, you know, I think, you know, we can all look back in times like this. And the thing that sucks is most people right now are like looking at all the, the poor negativity. They're not looking at where it could lead them in the next two months, three months, um, which is hard, right? Because when you're in the thick of it, you, you can't really see through the weeds. Um, one of the things I know you're really passionate about, and by the way, it looks like you've gotten yourself in some great shape. I know you got a trainer. Um, how long have you been, have you really been into to fitness? Has that always been like a big part of your life? Like, I mean, were you an athlete growing up or? Interesting. I was a wannabe athlete growing up. I was never good enough to like be as good as I wanted to be. And that always bothered me. I think that drove me to be right. more significant in my adult life. And I really found fitness. And I look back, I had all this uncultivated talent when I was in high school. You know, like nobody made me work out, so I didn't. Uh, nobody made me work hard, so I didn't. So I had all this uncultivated talent, and right about the age of, eh, I'd say 20, 19 or 20, um, I was spending summers doing landscape construction, and our foreman was a guy named Dave. Now at the time, I'm 20, Dave is 40, but 40 to me back then was like the old man, right? Now I'm 42. And Dave was ripped. This dude was jacked and he was just cool as hell. Here's another mentor actually that cared a lot about me. And he would rib me and he would give me some crap and uh, about not being in shape and, and not doing the job as good as I could. Remember his landscape construction and all in, in jest in a good way. And then he finally challenged me to start working out and to get in better shape. And he led by example, and that motivated, motivated me to do it. There's another guy named Mike Moran that worked there. And so Mike and I started working out in the gym together at about 20 years old, and I fell in love with it. And then ironically, I met my wife, Lori, in the gym when I was 24 and she was 21. So I went to met her without the gym. And all through my adult life, I've actually gotten in better shape. And I've actually um, 
fallen more in love with my body as I've gotten older. And so it's been a fascinating journey and a, and a great passion of mine. Part of what I think really drove that passion was my wife's career for 10 years was fitness. You know, she was on the, the cover of umpteen fitness magazines and one um, Ms. Figure Universe, Ms. Fitness Universe, Ms. Bikini Universe, Ms. Bikini America. Uh, she, I mean, she was one of the biggest names of fitness for a long, long, long time. So I was surrounded by fitness, even though I had no interest in participating at that level. And I think that really helped boost my knowledge and my passion around it as well. Yeah. And it's interesting you, you bring that up because I, I was in the same boat. I was a wannabe athlete. I was like always the kind of the fat kid who couldn't jump, couldn't run, was uncoordinated. I was always watching sports center though, collected like baseball cards and stuff. Um, and then like, as I've gotten older, I've gotten in, gotten more fit, but I think it's funny though, how what, you know, you, not just you and I, anybody who's developed a fitness routine during times like this, it's like one staple that's consistent, right? Cause I think a lot of times what people are looking for right now is consistency in their life because there's so much inconsistency with the Corona thing that fitness is a staple for that. Fitness is something that you're forced to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You're forced to get that one last rep in and it makes you strong. And I think the one thing that is so relatable, which I love this analogy is you think about when you're trying to get bigger, Chris, you're, you're trying to build more muscle. You have to really beat the shit out of your muscles to grow bigger biceps. You have to beat, you know, you really have to like tear it apart and they rebuild, tear it apart and rebuild. And that's kind of how life is. Like life tears you apart. Sometimes you got to rebuild. I guarantee you, if you were to like take the last 10, 15 years of your life, when you've had all this success, it wasn't just a straight shot up. There was bumps up, down, up, down, big up, bigger down, big that people don't see. They see people at the top of the mountain, right? And that's why I think I, I'm fascinated to interview people like yourself and others that have made it so that they can see that like, you know, shit hasn't always been easy and it's still not easy, right? Yeah. Like, and so like, you know, as we've got a couple minutes left here, one, the one thing I want to talk about with you is your relationship with Lori um, because I think a lot of guys kind of need to, and, and obviously women too, if they were listening to this, you, what you guys put on, on social media and how you guys act in person, it's very admirable because there are a lot of relationships that are falling apart right now. There are a lot of things that are rocky. What kind of thing, what have been like some of your best practices? If you had to say like your three best practices in your marriage to keep it stable during rocky times, because it's not like you guys are all sunshine and roses. I mean, I've heard you talk about like there's sometimes you guys hate or hating each other, not liking each other, but you still do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. This is such a great question uh, because I think people have the wrong idea of how to make a relationship work sometimes. I think that they're looking for the perfect one that seems to work perfectly. And when they don't find it, then they throw the baby out with the bathwater. When Lori and I met, um, we were very opposite individuals, but I liked that she had things to teach me and she liked that I had things to teach her because we were opposites. But then at the same time, we had a few very fundamental things in common. Fitness and working out was going to be a staple for sure. We're both motivated big dreamers and knew that we wanted to accomplish big things. That was a fundamental thing. Um, we both came from really good families with good work ethics and, and the love of family and the love of marriage. So we had those things as good core things in common and then awesome opposite things that made us interesting to each other. Now, here's the real answer you're going for. Uh, we've been married for, it'll be 15 years this August and together it'll be 18 years this summer. And um, what happens is when you meet in your early 20s, you become such different people several times throughout that journey. And our journey isn't even near done, right? 
So when you're 21, you're a very different person than when you're 25, and you're a very different person than when you're 29 and 30, and you're a very different person than when you're 34, 35, and then you're a very different person than when you're 40. You see the world very differently, and I'm telling you, you change so much that you might as well give yourself a different name each time. Yeah. Now imagine this. Here's the answer you're looking for. If one person is changing that much, and the other person is changing that much, the chances are you're going to change into people that are nothing like the people that made the original agreement to be together. So answer number one is we've always chosen to grow together. And we have a policy as we're growing and changing. It's that we'll always try the other person's idea on for size. Meaning, picture like trying on a coat, see if it fits, see if it looks good, see if it feels good or not. We will always try the other person's idea on for size as they're changing ideas in life, as they're becoming different people. Now, we have not agreed that we have to like it. We have not agreed uh, that it has to be for us. We have just made the agreement that we'll try it on for size. And something magical happens when you do it. There's been so many things I've tried on for size that I would have never thought I would be interested in. But sure enough, like self-development, when she brought that, it changed my life. And I've got a million examples like that. So that's been a really important staple. Um, choose to grow together and always be willing to try it on for size. If it's not a fit, you're allowed to take it off, but at least you honored the person by trying it. Number two, um, we have really strong boundaries about the type of couples we're gonna hang around, the type of people we're gonna hang around, and they must be couples that are aligned with our values, and they must be couples that are doing big, exciting things for the world, not just business. If you want to be an incredible humanitarian, incredible philanthropist, an incredible author, whatever, you just have to be always pursuing something big because we are, and we're not going to mesh if you're not. And what that does is it helps keep us accountable to growing because we're hanging around people that are growing. And that's very important. When you become stagnant, then that's when trouble shows up. Uh, so we have strong boundaries about um, who we're going to hang around. And then we've got very strong boundaries. This is the third one um, on how we're going to take our relationship down off of the shelf every single day and address anything that needs to be addressed so that we're always putting out smoke. We're never putting out blazing forest fires. And we do that because we have uh, by having protected time in the morning where I literally wake her up to a mantra, I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, more fit than I was yesterday, and make her say it back to me. And then we have our morning routine where we're filling ourselves up first so that we're the best, most bonded version of ourselves uh, for everybody else the rest of the day. And then every single day ends with a non-negotiable dog walk where um, we are doing a three-mile walk, it takes one hour, rain or shine, hate each other or not, does not matter, because what this is, is a metaphor for a container where we are changing our location, changing our state, changing our physicality, so that we can have the space to talk about whatever needs to be talked about, work through the emotions physically, and come back as a couple again every single evening. And if you implement those things, you're going to increase the chances of being a, a very happy couple for a long, long time. Yeah, you're you're so right. And what you've you've said is like, and I think I, the one thing that like, sticks out to me that probably was one I wasn't honestly expecting, but um, was the hanging around other couples. I mean, obviously, I think it's important to surround yourself with 
with the best people, right? But the other couples, you're right, because they're an example. If you're if you're going on, if you're hanging out with a couple once a week that they're on constantly fighting with each other or being pessimistic or they're complaining, like that's going to start to be you because that's going to be like your normal. I think our environment creates a false sense of normalcy based on who we hang out with. So if you're hanging out with people like that for a period of time, you're going to think that's how life should be. Um, and then also, like I think it's like anything. The better you manage the times when you're down the better you, the, the faster you come back up. It's like anything that when your relationship's rocky, how you, how you manage that is going to manage how it comes back up when mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the stock market. Like right now people are freaking out, but the people who are holding steady that are maybe buying where they can to like, you know, because stuff's on sale are the ones that it's going to come back better. Right. So, um, dude, I, I got to tell you, man, I'm blown away by the wisdom you shared on all fronts from your story, the, how to, you know, your money mindset on coronavirus, your relationship with Lori, it's something that I think is going to be one of the most valuable episodes people listen to because of your humility and how honest you are and how freaking passionate you are about the subject. There's a lot of people that get interviewed just to get interviewed and they kind of like lollygag through and they're like telling their story and da, da da da. You gave some tangible tactical advice that can be implemented like the, from the first five minutes of this episode. So Chris, I just want to say thanks, man, for, for, for giving and for being of service and we appreciate you. Doug, listen, totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I, I know how much you love and respect your audience, and, and I know it's a sign of trust uh, for inviting me on. So uh, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot that you were willing to, to give me a platform to share on. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. So guys, be sure to listen to this episode more than once. Take notes. Reach out to Chris on Instagram or He's on Instagram at, at Chris W. Harder. Um, check out his For the Love of Money podcast, which will be in the show notes. Anything else, Chris, and where they could find you? Uh, listen, if you want to listen to the, um, the podcast, it's ForTheLoveOfMoney.com, and I am doing a free webinar while we go through this impending recession until we are heading out of it. It's totally free three times a week where I'm answering your questions if you're an entrepreneur on how you can pivot. And you can find that at fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash webinar. Just a way that I wanted to serve. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I'll be sure to include all that in the show notes. Um, you've been listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll chat with you next time.